The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It's 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. A big day for big tech. One industry titan buying back $60 billion of its own stock. One of the largest share buybacks ever. It's not Apple, but Apple is hoping for some love. After rolling out a bunch of new products, will investors care? Big trouble in Little Macau is the Communist Party turning its crackdown focus now to casinos. When will your kids get the jab? One COVID vaccine maker is going to ask the FDA for approval for kids five months old and up. And Facebook under fire once again, this time over a scathing report on how they know Instagram is harming the mental health of kids around the world, but have done almost nothing about it. It is Wednesday, September 15th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world you may be watching. Good Wednesday morning. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. All right, that Facebook story, by the way, a very serious and important one coming up. All parents need to hear it, and you will in a bit. But first, let us hit your Wednesday money coming off a 300-point drop for the Dow. We are seeing eh, a little green on the screen. When I say a little, I mean Dow futures up 66, NASDAQ up a little more on a percentage basis. It is up 52 on a points basis. Now, it has certainly been a bit of a rough run lately. If you are keeping score at home, the Dow is now down six of the past seven sessions. Same with the S&P 500. But as always, context is key. The S&P 500 is still up 18% this year, so most investors have made a lot of money still. Cryptos, they had a good day on Tuesday. Here's how they all look right now across the board in what has been, well, what's new? A volatile couple weeks for them. They are higher right now. Bitcoin at 47100 Ether at 33999 Well, one of your big money movers of the morning, maybe the biggest money mover, is Microsoft. It is unveiling a $60 billion stock buyback, and it is raising its dividend by 11%. Now, Microsoft shares already up 35% this year. Wow. Microsoft up just over 1% in the pre-market. We'll have more on Microsoft a bit later on this morning. Let's go now around the world. The Asian market's closing lower across the board. In fact, Hong Kong down nearly 2%. You have Chinese retail sales coming in at 2.5% in August well below the 7% estimate. And in Europe, it is mixed to, well, mostly lower. UK inflation hitting the tape this morning, up 3.2%, the biggest jump on record. It seems that inflation is not just here. It is indeed a global phenomenon. All right, let's get back now to China for a moment. And that major developing story happening now, some $14 billion in market value wiped out overnight. Trading in Asian Macau casinos coming under heavy selling pressure. Las Vegas Sands China and Win Macau 
seeing their steepest single-day drops on record. Galaxy Entertainment seeing its biggest single-day drop in a decade. Look at that, down 32, 28, 20%. These are huge moves overnight for major companies. Unishun joining us now from Beijing with a look at the crackdown on the casinos. Eunice. Thanks, Brian. Well, Macau authorities are reviewing the house rules of their casino industry. So the Macau, the gaming capital, is, a, is essentially a second home for a lot of these Las Vegas titans that you'd mentioned, Brian, like the Sands, the Wynn, as well as MGM. And uh, the capital, the um, sorry, Macau opened a 45-day public consultation today, and the authorities said that they're going to assess the number and duration of casino licenses, whether the level of supervision of the license holders is sufficient, and if there's a need to install government representatives to oversee their day-to-day operations. So Beijing has already been tightening restrictions on gambling, worried about illicit capital flows. Also, the backdrop of it all with Beijing cracking down on so many sectors has led uh, some investment banks, such as J.P. Morgan, to downgrade Macau gaming stocks. Uh, J.P. Morgan downgraded uh, Macau gaming firms to neutral or underweight. The officials there have already been trying to diversify this industry. They want the economy to rely on other elements. So, in fact, the authorities said that they're going to institute new rules to try to make that happen by promoting non-gaming elements and also uh, to protect workers as well as social responsibility. Now, the government is also proposing additional rules on the transfer and distribution of profits to shareholders. And Brian, you had mentioned um, how the stock prices of these companies in the U.S. took a beating, and of course out here as well. A lot of that is because these companies uh, derive a plenty of their revenue, in fact about 70% for the Las Vegas Sands and the Wynn Resorts from Macau. So a lot of money um, relying on the revenues that are made in Macau, and Macau is going to be reviewing its licenses. Like I said, six casino licenses in this Chinese territory are set to expire in June of 2022. And Brian, again, a lot of this lack of clarity is making people um, very, very nervous about what's going to happen next. These are huge drops, 25 and 30 percent overnight on this news. Now, Eunice, on a broader scale, we have seen Uh, A crackdown on big technology, Alibaba and others. We have seen the government mandate no more than three hours of video games for teenagers during the week. We've seen the crackdown on banks, now casinos. From a macro perspective, what is the goal of Beijing? What are they saying about sort of their broad take on how they are going about regulating businesses in the country right now? Do we know? Well, I mean, it's a lot of different reasons, right? So we have kind of the top line uh, message that was coming from President Xi Jinping that he wants to see common prosperity, wants to make sure that he's able to kind of narrow that wealth gap, which a lot of people see as a threat to uh, social stability. Also to, you know, protect workers, make sure that there are some of these long overdue uh, regulations that haven't really been put in place. Well, now the authorities are saying, yeah, we kind of need to do that with um, worker protection or, for example, 
example, uh, data. There's been a lot of complaints for several years that data hasn't been uh, protected as much. So the government is saying, well, you know, depending on the sector, this is what we're going to do. However, because it, you know, there isn't a whole lot of transparency here, that uh, leads to um, a, a big concern about what the true motivations are. And then, of course, there's the whole ripple effect on the economy. And in fact, we had economic data today, which showed that the economy was actually worse than expected. The, the retail sales numbers and the industrial output figures. So consumers are getting a little bit more nervous. And then Beijing is advising now that people don't travel overseas uh, during the National Day holiday, which is coming up in October. And that could potentially affect um, the numbers in Macau as well. Yeah, and I want to highlight again for our viewers what is happening overnight, because I think, Eunice, it's fair to say this is or at least should be the top story on CNBC all day long. 25 to 30 percent drops in market value for $100 billion corporations. I mean, I'm not sure I've seen something like this on a broad scale in years, if not ever, outside of things like the first couple weeks of covid or the financial crisis. These are massive moves for massive companies, which I'm not sure our viewers fully understand. They've been to Vegas. This is far larger than Las Vegas, correct? Yeah, I mean, it's huge. Uh, like I said, 70% of the revenues derived from Macau for some of these companies. This is a, you know, Macau has been seen as a, a place where gaming had a, a huge future. It was going to be one of the places that attracts not only Chinese to come gaming, but also uh, people from all around Asia. So the fact that you have these new regulations coming in, the prospect of having government representatives uh, potentially overseeing the day-to-day operations of, uh, you know, of MGM, for example, or SANS. I mean, all of this is unclear at the moment. Maybe it's not going to be that bad, but I think the the whole point is that we don't really know. And that's one of the reasons why you're seeing this massive sell-off. Yeah, and, and massive sell-off is not TV hyperbole. Look at those numbers. It is a uh, tough day there for the stakeholders of the casinos. Eunice Hume, a big story there again, once again, by the way. Eunice, thank you very much. All right, wow. Let's turn back now to the broader markets. In a market that has been going up for what really seems like forever, finding the moment to sell can be tricky for investors. But even in a bull market, there are still opportunities to take profit. Joining us now with his thoughts on maybe something that we don't talk enough about, when to sell, is Kevin Simpson, founder and chief investment officer at Capital Wealth Planning. Kevin, I mean, uh, welcome back to the show. I don't know if you own any of those China casino stocks, do you? Because knowing when to sell in China right now has become nearly impossible because the headlines happen overnight that wipe off a quarter of value. Brian, thanks for having me. My mentor taught me 30 years ago not to invest overseas. He said you can lose enough money in the U.S., so stick with what you know. We're, um, we're not investing in any international names, but boy, look at these declines and what a, what a horrific display for, uh, for equity investors that hold these names. And it's a good segue to, to our topic. You know, it's so much fun and easy to buy stocks, but how hard and difficult is it to know when to sell? So I think if we focus, Brian, on the four reasons that I sell stocks, maybe that can be somewhat of a takeaway as we, we focus on the news this morning. But I, I'll start with number one that might be unique to our strategy. The first thing that we do is we sell covered calls. We sell out of the money covered calls. So sometimes we'll get a stock called away. And that's great because, again, you're, you're selling something higher. We're contractually obligated to do so. The second rule, which I think everyone should use, is rebalancing, good old-fashioned rebalancing. 
we allocate only 5% to any one name. Because as we're seeing here with some of these Chinese gaming stocks, you never know what can happen. Yeah. So we want to risk budget, spread our risk 5% with any one stock, no matter what our conviction. If they grow to a 7 or 8% weighting, we use old-fashioned rebalancing. We trim it back. That's how professional investors Ke- have dry Kevin, before we go to before we go to three and four, because I think these are very important lessons. We always talk about buy, 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 right? When to buy. Well, when to sell is incredibly important, too. I want to go back to that covered call because it is early. Might have some new viewers, new investors. Explain to us quickly, and of course in TV way, what a covered call obligation might be. What does that mean? As quickly as I could use the analogy, we're selling someone the right to buy a stock from us at a predetermined price, uh, much like a lease option in real estate. So some people will put in a sell order. Hey, if a stock gets to X price, we'll sell it. In a covered call, you're doing something very similar. You're agreeing to sell something you own for a price higher than it is today, but we're compensated for it. Very similar, again, with that lease option in real estate. It's like a rental contract with a lease option to buy. How is that for a brief analogy? Listen, I thought it was very good because, uh, again, you don't necessarily always have to sell a stock. You can write that, that covered call against it, but then the call gets well called and then you have to sell. All right, let's go back to three and four, sort of on that discipline of knowing when to sell. And and of course, this, this all comes back to uh, what you and I have talked about, Kevin, which is a relationship. You buy a stock, you make money in it, you kind of love it, right? It's like, it's like a relationship between you and the company, but to be a disciplined investor, you got to take the emotion out of it. You, you can't be more right because it's so difficult. You've made this investment, you've researched it, you, you want it to go up, you never want to be wrong, you never want it to go down. But the reality is, as professional traders, stocks do go down. And when they do, you need to be prepared to keep those losses to a minimum. So for me, if a stock cuts or suspends a dividend, more times than not, I look at that as a weakness in the underlying company or the environment. And I just remove the stock immediately, regardless of that emotion. And the fourth reason, which everyone I think could also benefit from, is looking at relative performance, very specific to the stocks. If we own a name and it's underperforming its peer group or its sector by 15 to 20%. And we have to acknowledge that the economics of the company may have changed somehow, or it wouldn't be outperforming or underperforming its peer group. So we remove it from the portfolio. We can figure out what's wrong later, but the challenge for investors is, boy, do I I sell now or go back up? What happens, what if? You've gotta remove the what ifs, and like you said, Brian, you've really gotta remove the emotions. It was Benjamin Graham who said that the best portfolio managers are those that can manage risk and navigate the downside. And if you can do that successfully, the upside will always take care of itself. Yeah, it's a good lesson, Kevin. I mean, these are good rules. People should print them out, you know, sort of put them up next to their computer or their smartphone, whatever, because we always talk about when to buy, but knowing when to sell and take that money and running is just as strong of a lesson. Kevin Simpson, Capital Wealth Planning. Kevin, it's a real pleasure to have you back on. Good stuff. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks, Brian. Have a great day. Oh, you're very welcome. All right. When we come back, it is not just casino stocks getting slammed. The name of another major player in China also getting hit hard overnight. It's your mystery chart. That name revealed coming up. Plus, if we get a big infrastructure bill or bills, a lot of under-the-radar stocks could win big. We're going to lay out some of these new names ahead. And then digging in one of the biggest stock buybacks of all time. It just happened. Microsoft, 60 billion. Wow. 
Dow futures up 64. We're back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. All right, welcome back. Time now for your big money movers. The three key stock stories of the day. Let's go. Stock one is Pfizer. It expects to apply for emergency use authorization for its COVID vaccine for children as young as six months old. That will likely come in November. Speaking at the Morgan Stanley Global Healthcare Conference yesterday, the CEO, Albert Boiler, says that timeline assumes all the data, though, is positive. So not a lock. Stock number two, Yum China. Fast food chain warning. Third quarter profit will take a hit of up to 60 percent says that more than 500 of its locations in 17 Chinese provinces were closed or offered only takeout and delivery at the peak of their latest outbreak in August. Stock number three is Crocs. The shoemaker says sales will jump to more than $5 billion in the next five years. All right, as Congress closes in on potentially signing a big infrastructure bill, we are unfortunately seeing some signs of America's needs firsthand lately. All the big storms have opened up gaping holes in things like the safety of the power grid, the need for better water management and infrastructure, and so much more. Many of the companies who do this kind of work are not household names, but maybe they should be. Catherine Thompson of Thompson Research Group joining us now with more in this big interview. Catherine, welcome to, you got me with the uh, animation there. I didn't know that was coming. Catherine, it's good to have you back on the program Unfortunately, with all the, the storms and everything, we have seen uh, water damage. We have seen electrical grid damage. Uh, talk to us about a name I'm not familiar with, and that is Core and Maine and what they do around water and why you see opportunity there. Yeah, so if you were looking for a name that benefits from both infrastructure and climate change, Core and Maine is essentially the perfect name you've got set up for that. Uh, it was previously owned by private equity firm CDNR. And it went public, not through a SPAC like so many companies have done. It actually was a legitimate um, IPO that went public a little over a month ago. What they focus on is water infrastructure. It has the three main end markets that are super important. We got residential, non-res, and municipal or public construct, uh, construction. It, uh, you were talking a little bit about the infrastructure bill. A lot of people focus on roads and traditional infrastructure. But the Cyanbrose development is adding water to that. And given the storms, I know, Brian, that you've had to deal with the aftermath of that, water infrastructure is so key. And so it benefits not only from an infrastructure bill, but also the domino effect what's happening in the current market in a post-COVID world, which is namely uh, um, also population shift 
which has an impact on res, non-res, and that municipal end market too. Core and Maine, CNM is a name that we are watching closely. And, and Catherine, I know you've got kids, we're friends, I've got a teen driver, and I was whining to my wife about the cost of car insurance. And of course, I'm thinking, well, legally, we have to have a certain amount of coverage. We, basically, they've got us. We, we don't have a choice uh, when it comes to this. And so we, we have to pay. And that's kind of part of your thesis around APG, which is API Group. A lot of their businesses are mandated by regulation. you got to love a company where a government or government says, you need to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So if core and main is tied to new construction, being on the side, API goes up and follows up that that construction that was completed is actually meeting regulations. So it could be a gas station or it could be a water infrastructure project that core and main just completed. So um, that's another great name. It's a name that we also picked up in the, in the heart of, uh, the, um, uh, of COVID. And you know, the thing that we like about it, like Cord Maine, it throws off a ton of cash. Uh, and it also has a very regular revenue stream, which is great for those who are looking for asset light, throws off a lot of cash and has a lot of visibility with revenues. Let's call the word of the day, Catherine, behemoth, meaning, I guess, large or outsized or something like this, whatever it means. And you talk about free cash flow. You have called Ferguson, F-E-R-G, a free cash flow behemoth. And you see a lot of upside in this company. Yeah. So with Ferguson, when we picked up coverage of that, this is in the summer of 2019, it was the largest name no one had ever heard of. And it was a part because it was wrapped up in... Uh, a company called Wolseley that was traded on the London Stock Exchange. So Wolseley essentially uh, sold off a bunch of, um, of its own divisions. And what it was left with was Ferguson, which is a great North American. It's larger than Core Maine um, as a larger diversification because it gets a little bit more into the residential side. So once again, that's a name that it is It's for a larger cap um, investor. It would be a great focus, but it also has a little bit more on the residential side but benefits from all the things that we've talked about. And again, having a squeaky clean balance sheet, less than one-time lever, throwing off a lot of cash. Yeah, and we could be talking about tens or hundreds of billions of dollars being spread around, going to the Fergusons, the APIs, the corn mains of the world. Nobody does infrastructure or knows it more than you. Catherine Thompson of Thompson Research Group. Catherine, a pleasure to have you back on the program. It's infrastructure's time. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Brian. All right, you're very welcome. All right, on deck, rap superstar Nicki Minaj in a huge vaccine fight. I guess we're going to do a little TMZ and bring you the latest goss. Plus, the first all-private citizen flight to space getting ready to launch. All private citizens. We'll tell you about it. Worldwide exchange returns. Dow futures up 77. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 
Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Philip Mena. Breaking news overnight, the Justice Department is aiming to block the strict new abortion law in Texas. The DOJ has submitted an emergency order seeking a temporary halt on the state's ban on abortions after six weeks. The Biden administration filed a lawsuit last week challenging the Supreme Court's decision to allow that ban to remain in place, saying that it violated the constitutional rights of women. Just hours after the polls closed in California, NBC News is projecting that the effort to recall Governor Gavin Newsom has failed. Californians voted to keep him in office two to one. Larry Elder led the field of dozens of Republicans vying for office. Just a day before the election, the conservative radio host was pushing unsubstantiated claims of voter fraud on a website paid for by his campaign. And finally, rapper Nicki Minaj is facing backlash this morning after tweeting about the COVID vaccine. She said that a family, a family friend in Trinidad had a negative reaction to the vaccine that some believe sounded more like an STD. Doctors were quick to point out that the ailment was not among the known side effects of getting the shot. So, Brian, TMZ, TMI. I, yeah, it was. There was a lot. Of, there's things that we cannot say at 5:25 or whatever in the morning. The words of that, but yes, uh, it was a rather uh, interesting admission about her cousin's friend and his lack of uh, Just Google performance it. capability <laughs> ahead of go. his wedding. Performance capability. That's the right. car wasn't running. All the, we'll move on. Philip Mena, <laughs> good morning. Thank you very much. All right, all ahead, a damning new report on how much Instagram is harming kids and teens and how Facebook has known about it for years but has done next to nothing. We're back with a story you have to hear next. Apple's big day, kind of a big bust. Why the company's new product's not exactly wowing investors. But Microsoft betting big on itself, rolling out one of the biggest stock buybacks of all time. You've got to hear the numbers. And your morning RBI laying out another kind of top five at five. Five best performing stocks any size this quarter. There will be some new names, one very familiar one. It's all happening on this Wednesday, September 15th. And this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, welcome or welcome back, everybody. Hope you're having a good start to your day. It is 531 on the East Coast. Grab your coffee. Let's go. There is a lot to get through. And let us hit your Wednesday money. Coming off a 300-point drop for the Dow, we are seeing futures uh, a little bit better, but I'm not going to make too much of it. Dow futures up 66 points. What, one-tenth or whatever, two-tenths of 1%. NASDAQ looks a little better on a percentage basis. NASDAQ up 48 points, a little higher, maybe three-tenths of 1% as well. By the way, the Dow and the S&P are now down six of the past seven sessions. Is this kind of like a mini correction? We're going to find out. I mean, you don't know until you look back and go, hey, that was the beginning. But either way, down six of seven sessions. All right, that's here. But your top story this morning, and really what should be the top story all day long, is happening overseas. Casino stocks in China are tanking. I don't use that word lightly. They're down 20, 25, or more than 30% in one day. That's not a month. That's overnight. 
as the government there cracking down on casinos and, according to Eunice Yoon, threatening to force a Communist Party official basically into management or to help run the companies, inserting a government official into the companies. Names like Sands China, down 32%. Win Macau, down 29%. SJM, MGM, Galaxy Entertainment posting their biggest or one of their biggest single-day declines ever. Wow, that is a major story. Think about what's happening overseas, folks. You had the Chinese government cracking down on big tech, saying that kids can only play three hours of video games per week, cracking down on banks, and now coming down on the casinos. The government there under Xi Jinping certainly is asserting its dominance. All right, in the meantime, stateside, a new report coming out this morning, laying out the failures in this country's childcare system that is having a broader impact on the overall economy. Alon Moy joining us now for what that could mean for that $3.5 trillion spending package. Alon, what does the report say? What did we learn? Well, Brian, the Treasury Department will declare the U.S. child care system unworkable in that new report that's slated for release today. Now, this analysis is part of a White House push for the measures in its social spending package that are focused on the care economy for kids. This afternoon, Vice President Kamala Harris will join Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen to outline the problems in the system and their plan to fix it. And we got an early look at this report, which finds three key market failures in the $60 billion child care industry. The liquidity constraints that parents face in paying for childcare, often at a time in their careers when they can at least afford it. There's also the problem of positive externality. High quality childcare benefits everyone in the economy, but individual families bear the brunt of that cost. And there are also structural issues in the industry, which often operates with margins of less than 1%, while workers are poorly paid and suffer from high turnover. Now, the report states, quote, sound economic principles explain why relying on private money to provide childcare is bound to come up short. Now, Democrats are proposing a host of new government programs instead that come with big price tags. Universal pre-K and child care subsidies for low-income families would cost about $450 billion. A national paid family leave program, that's roughly another $500 billion. And extending the child tax credit through 2025 would cost more than $550 billion. Now, Treasury says the goal is to ensure that parents can stay in the workforce and children can become more productive, boosting economic growth in the future. Brian. A very important study there coming out of the Treasury Department and some very big numbers in that bill. Uh, Elon Moy, thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, now to the Apple news. Apple rolling out yesterday the iPhone 13, a mini phone, a new watch, and some other stuff. But uh, investors, well, they didn't seem to care. Let's find out why. Joining us now to talk more about this and Apple's future, Joel Kalina. Head of Technology and Media Trading at Wedbush Securities. Joel, thank you very much. Nothing new. I'm not knocking Apple. In fact, CNBC Pro did a great thing going back to 2007 that generally these types of product announcements, while fun and sexy, don't tend to move the needle. Did you see anything or hear anything yesterday that makes you want to move the needle more on Apple stock? Did we miss something? No, I mean, I think it's pretty straightforward. I mean, uh, you know, whether it's just the way kind of information flow is is increased over the past 10 plus years. But, you know, the leaks on, on the iPhone become uh, they come out a lot more earlier than ever before and, and more importantly, a lot more accurately. So that just leaves the, the opportunity for, for surprises are, is just extremely small. So Apple suffered, you know, selling on the back of a very evolutionary update. And, uh, 
you know, but 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 looking under the hood, some of the negatives that, that some of the tech investors were kind of picking at were flat pricing year over year, which is leading to some margin concerns. We know that the supply chain is facing uh, increasing input risks and there had been price you know reports of rising prices for this year's lineup. So that's been a disappointment. And I think end of the day, you still have to think last Friday's yeah. you know, epic cooling is a bigger overhang on the stock, at least in the near term. Let, let's talk about, Joel, that supply chain issue. Nike just saying basically they may not get two months of production yeah. out of their Vietnam plants because of COVID-related supply disruptions. I mean, I know Apple's a high-value customer. I'm sure that, that Foxconn is going to do its best. Is there any real threat of not getting some of these new products to markets in time? Uh, as of now, we haven't heard of any any kind of significant bottlenecks for Apple. And, I, and, and as you said, that comes from being, you know, number one, they're the world's number one consumer of silicon content. And, uh, you know, companies like, you know, Taiwan Semi, they're going to make sure that Apple gets what they want for their for their eight series processors. And uh, so as of now, there's really no no major hiccups in, in Apple's supply chain. We know it's a mess across uh, automotive and, and increasing its way through other parts of the, of, of the global economy. But Apple you know, like I said, being king, being king is, is never a bad thing. Yeah. Let's turn now to Microsoft because, Joel, maybe you could help me because I don't get a lot of sleep and I'm getting old. Microsoft announcing a $60 billion stock buyback, boosting its dividend as it tends to do by 11%. Yep. Is this, I was trying to go through my old file cabinet brain. I can't remember a buyback bigger than that. I'm sure there probably was one I'm missing. Sixty billion. This is a big deal. Well, well, no, it's. I mean, I call it scary, call it impressive, incredible, whatever you, whatever you want. I mean, this is actually in line with what they've done in the past, and and, and this sixty billion, a whopping number, and it's just in line with with their their previous capital term, you know, announcements back in two thousand nineteen. They announced a forty billion dollar buyback, and at the time, that was three point seven percent of the company's market cap. Right now, that sixty billion is only two point six percent. Of, of this total market cap. So, I mean, it's just impressive that they come out with that number and it's viewed as inline-ish, not a big deal. And uh, it's it just kind of speaks to the story, the cloud momentum for Nadella and company. And uh, yeah, but everything I've read, it's inline-ish, not very surprising. And it's just a staggering number as you kind of highlighted. Yeah, it really is. Stock up one and a quarter percent pre-market. All right, we're going to do the trifecta here because this one's a big story. You don't have the time to dive into it that I'd like, but Facebook under fire from lawmakers over inaction following a scathing report from the Wall Street Journal revealing the company is aware that its Instagram app is harmful to the mental health of its users, most notably teenage girls. It's a damning report. I urge everybody to go read it in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. But it doesn't appear, Joel, that like like normal, it doesn't matter what the news is on Facebook. The stock doesn't seem to react. Yeah, I mean it's 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 like Teflon, right? I mean it, it's whatever regulatory headline you get, the stock maybe has a near term hiccup and then it just comes right back. And uh, you know, I know obviously China is a big focus of your show this morning. You know, more kneecapping headlines overnight over there. Um, you almost wish the, the U.S. would take a similar stance to certain pockets of our industry. We know Facebook, Instagram, social media is toxic for teenagers, and 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 I'm thankful. I guess my kids are still five and under, so maybe in the next kind of seven eight years. We'll, we'll kind of wake up a little bit to how toxic the, these platforms are for a younger generation. But it's no surprise. And, and, and hopefully Zuckerberg is, is finally held accountable for something. He's not held accountable for lack of security implementation, not held accountable for misinformation being passed around. And again, it's just like you know, these social media media companies get a pass. 
And and until you actually see a headline impact the stock, yeah, you're kind of going to shrug it off. Yeah, one out of three teenage girls reported feeling worse about themselves, their body image, suffering anxiety and depression after going on Instagram. The company had a presentation about it in 2019. That's the gist of the story. A lot of people starting to call this Big Tobacco 2.0. Joel Kalina looking at Apple, Microsoft, Facebook. Joel, really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good day. Take care. All right, coming up, seeking better representation in the boardroom where companies have made progress in making Hispanic voices heard and where more work needs to be done. You're back in a moment. My mom coming here at such a young age, just 17 years old, leaving everything behind to start a new life, to find opportunity, just motivates me. As a Hispanic American in this country, as a first of my family to go to college and graduate college and watch my mom work so hard and sacrifice so much, just pushes me to work harder and make her proud. I want her to know that all the sacrifices she made have been worth it, that it's because of her and everything she gave up that I am who I am today. And that was our friend and colleague, Savannah Hanau. You've seen her on this very program recently. I used to steal her candy back at Inglewood Cliffs, helping us kick off Hispanic Heritage Month as we highlight business leaders, our contributors, and our friends and colleagues all month long. Now, Hispanic representation in corporate boardrooms, leaving a lot to be desired, with the vast majority of major companies having little or no presence among their leadership. Dom Chu joining us now with more on where progress has been made and where progress needs to be made. Dom, good morning. Good morning, Brian. So even as Latinos accounted for more than half of the U.S. population overall, if you take a look at the way that the boardroom is shaking out right now, things are I mean, shaping up in some small way a little bit better. The U.S. population growth over the last decade for Hispanics, the representation on corporate boards remains disproportionately low. The Hispanic and Latinx population grew to about 19 percent of the overall U.S. population in the 2020 census. But that's a far cry from the S&P 500, where Latinos make up just 5 percent of director roles. That's according to Spencer Stewart. On the Fortune 1000 side of things, just 3 percent of directors are Latinx. That's according to data from KPMG and the Latino Corporate Directors Association. And even as many companies have made strides in diversifying their boardrooms over the past several years, 73% of Fortune 1000 companies remain without a single Hispanic or Latinx director. Now, narrowing that down further, one of the, one of the 100 largest companies on the Forbes list, more than half, have zero, none, zero Hispanic representation in the boardroom. And as we break out those numbers into specific industries, take a look at this. The LCDA and KPMG found that among Fortune 1000 companies, food, beverage, and tobacco players have the highest share of firms with at least one Latinx director at 42%. Below that are industries like hotels, restaurants, and leisure, financials at 31%, and then healthcare as well. Coming in last place is technology, where just 15, 1-5% of Fortune 1000 firms have at least one Hispanic or Latinx director. So, uh, Brian, th- there's progress that's being made, but there's still a very long way to go with regard to diversity, equity, and inclusion practices at some of the highest levels in corporate America. Yeah, and I mean, it's just good business. We talk about the changing demographics 
of the United States, we talk about tens of millions of people that simply want corporations to look like and share the values as their same family. Correct. I mean, that's really just what we're talking about. It's absolutely right. I mean, there's been so much more talk, not just among corporate leaders these days, but among politicians, people who administer our city, state and local governments, that sort of thing, that they, they want their governments to be more inclusive or at least representative of the constituents that they are there to serve. And so when you talk about this notion that there should be more practices of including more ethnic backgrounds, people with certain other orientations with, and perspectives with regard to the boardroom, all of those things are going to go towards that goal of trying to make whatever it is, the boardroom, the government that we have, more representative of the people that are actually part of that whole process. Uh, Dom Chu with an important topic there this morning. Dom, it's great to see you, my friend. Likewise. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right. On deck, your morning RBI. And we're going to lay out the five hottest stocks in all the land. Some of the names may not surprise you, but others might. We are back with a different kind of top five at five right after this. Well, today's RBI is going old school, just doing some straight up stock stuff, digging into the data to see what the hottest stocks are in America since July 1st. But we want to dive in not just the big caps, the names you know, but also small and mid cap names. We basically went through thousands of stocks to find the five hottest stocks based on quarter to date returns. Small, medium or large. Here are the top five. Number five, Replogen, 47% gain since July 1. Massachusetts-based biotech, but be careful. Stock down nearly 40 bucks above the median target price of analysts. Number four, Echo Global Logistics, up 55%. Chicago-based supply chain company founded by Eric Lefkowski. And if that name sounds familiar, it's because it should. He co-founded Groupon. Number three, believe it or not, it's stamps.com, but not because everybody's mailing stuff. It's because the company's being taken private, so it's kind of a, eh, let's move on. Number two, Cytokinetics. Up 67% this quarter. San Francisco-based biotech working to cure ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Many families are rooting certainly for that. You go, Cytokinetics. And number one, uh, probably no surprise. The best single stock of any size, Moderna. Up 82% since July 1. You obviously know why. But again, take note, the median target price of the 16 analysts who cover Moderna is just $349 a share. Well below where the stock is now. So there you go. Another kind of top five, at five, Replogen, Echo, Stamps, Cytokinetics, Moderna. Here on WEX, we're always looking for opportunity for you and hopefully some new names maybe that caught your eye. By the way, tomorrow, maybe, not promising anything, maybe we'll bring you the, the worst performing stocks this quarter. After all, you're supposed to buy low, right? Random, but hopefully informative. Well, let's broaden things out as we are coming off another down day in the markets. Always informative is Victoria Green, founding partner and CIO at G Squared Private Wealth. Victoria, I'm not sure if you own any of those names. They're probably too small for you, but I thought it'd be fun to kind of do it. But talk to us about IBM. That is a big company. (laughs) You say they are undergoing a real and meaningful change. Why? Yeah, I think... Yeah, it's it's a very unloved stock. You know, nobody likes Big Blue these days. It's old tech. It's not seen as anything sexy. But if you dig into actually what IBM is doing, they're spinning off their legacy infrastructure business into a 
spinoff called Kindrel. And then they're keeping together what really is going to be their core business going forward, which is Red Hat, which is hybrid cloud and cloud-based, as well as AI with Watson. So this company is reinventing itself for the third time over the last hundred years. Last time they did this, when they uh, spun off their PC business to Lenovo, they've had a very good successful run as a, as a main partner for most Fortune 500 companies with their IT infrastructure. Uh, they have a not new CEO, but fairly new the last couple of years, and he's really turning the ship around and reinventing what IBM is. So I think when people look back and they say, oh, man, the stock has barely grown, it hasn't, has a great dividend yield, fantastic cash flows. Uh, but you look forward and you say this, the stock is not going to be what it was five years ago. What they're focusing on is a great part of this market. You know, the cloud market is getting bigger. More and more is getting integrated. But IBM is one of the most trusted partners across every large company in the U.S. And now they're going to help people actually run their cloud business and integrate in their AI business. Everybody loves talking about, about AI. Nobody really knows how to integrate it well. I feel like it's the cilantro of stocks. Everybody's got a very strong opinion on, on IBM one way or the other. Nobody seems to be down the hey, middle. Cilantro's great. Uh, let's talk about it. Hey, I, I, I'll eat cilantro literally just by hand in sort of bunches. CrowdStrike. You talked about yes. data security, cybersecurity, all these hacks we're talking about. CrowdStrike, your favorite name in that space. It is because it's, it's cloud-based again, and it's also AI-focused, and their threat assessment graph is one of the best ones out there. It evaluates over one trillion events every single day, and as you know with artificial intelligence, the more it has to analyze and the more data it crunches, the smarter it gets. They're also a leader in security afterwards. They're the ones that track down the DNC hack. Uh, they, they really have a great uh, quarterly report they put out there about all these state actors that are hacking us and are they coming from Iran or Russia or China. And so you look across and as the workforce gets more dispersed, right, we're more work from home, uh, not you can't have everybody logging into a terminal in a secured office. You have more and more people accessing data from afar and cloud based data. You really have to make sure that your data is secure and they, they've just got a superior product. And I think they're going to continue to take market share in a growing business. Uh, they have over two-thirds of their clients have more than four modules. They have 19 modules across the company that they offer for different services. And almost 50% have five modules. So you see their ability to not only gain new clients. I think they work with something like 60 of the Fortune 500 companies, 14 of the 20 largest banks. I mean, they're just really a leader in what they do. And their product is unique and differentiated. And I think that gives them a very wide moat and gives them a lot of protection in a space that has more and more threats against it. And it's not just malware. A lot of it now is really, really sophisticated state actors. They're going after telecom. Telecom was the number one most hacked or tried to be breached last year because it has so much data about its consumers. After that, healthcare data is a lot at risk. And so you have these companies, not just the large banks, but you, you, you start looking across the street at what companies might be vulnerable. And it's surprising. You know, Colonial surprised people when that got uh, held out for yeah. ransom. And I think you just have to be more aware and spend more of your IT budget on cybersecurity. Yeah, with the Colonial Pipeline, it's like the hackers were able to hack into I-95, you know, from Miami to New York and shut it down effectively. It's what they did. Victoria Green, always a pleasure to have you on. IBM CrowdStrike, names that you're watching. Victoria, always appreciate you getting up early for us there in Texas. Have a great day. Thank you very much. And folks, like that, he was gone. We're the Kaiser Soze of shows. We'll see you tomorrow here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is next. Dow Futures, they're up a touch. We're back after this.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.